God, we believe that wherever the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there you are present and pray that you'd be present with us this morning. God, pray that you would uh, be here speaking loudly to us, an encouragement, uh, a challenge, an invitation is what we're looking for as we think with you about what it looks like, as we think with you about what it looks like to talk with you about what worries us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series on prayer, and if you've been missing a couple weeks, you can always catch up online, by the way, but uh, if you've missed this, here's what this series is about. Prayer is about doing whatever it takes to deepen our friendship with God, our friendship with God, and then setting aside time daily or at least regularly to do that thing. Bottom line, prayer is doing whatever it takes to deepen our relationship with God, our friendship with God, and setting aside time regularly to do that thing. And so to this point, we've tried to do, like, trying to do simple things, which is to give you practices of prayer that help you build into that friendship with God. And so we talked about the prayer of examine, where you look through your day. And Zach even led that in a, a little bit of that this morning, that looking at our week, where, what's God been trying to get our attention with? Uh, the prayer of Lexio Divina is an opportunity to use scripture to talk with God. Uh, last week, Vanessa taught us through kind of the Lord's Prayer as the Walmart of prayer, right? You walk in, it's your map for prayer, and it's where you kind of get everything you need. And sometimes even more than you need if, if, if it becomes target. Um, this week, I want us to talk about intercessory prayer. How do we pray for ourselves and, and, the, and the things that worry us and others and our community and our church and our city? Now, here's the deal. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see a Jesus who spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with his father, who seemed that the primary business of his prayer life was not asking God for stuff, but just being with God, which is why we kind of started this series and front-loaded it with, here's how you just be with God before you give him the list of the things we, you need him to do. But here's the irony. Even though Jesus spent so much time just being with God without asking God for stuff, no one teaches us about how to ask God for stuff more than Jesus does. Jesus was actually really insistent on teaching his disciples and on teaching us about the character of God when we ask for stuff. And this is for two reasons. The first reason is that Jesus understands that all of us, everyone in this room, is a giant bundle of anxiety, is a giant bundle of worry, is a giant bundle of concern. And if you're not worried or anxious or concerned, think about it for a few more minutes and then you'll be like, oh yes, those are all the things that I'm worried about. So Jesus knows that we have these concerns, but at a deeper level, Jesus teaches us that we can talk with God about these things that worry and concern us because God isn't just interested in those things. God doesn't just give his attention to those things, but God, the Father of Jesus and our Father, wants to experience and walk with us in the midst of our anxieties. He wants to be in the midst of that with us. This is why Peter says something really simple in 1 Peter 5. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, Jesus wanted to reveal to us exactly something that Peter understands, that our father is a good, good father who knows what we need, who understands our desires, who wants to walk with us in the midst of our anxieties. And Jesus reveals in these parables about prayer a God who has our best intentions in mind. He cares for us and he cares for us intentionally. And so Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him. How many of the anxieties does it say to cast on him, church? All. I looked in the Greek, it means 
all. I know that joke, it gets you laughing every time, so it's hard to leave it, you know what I mean? Dad jokes, like I'm 29 and they're already coming. Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because the God of the universe cares about those things and wants to speak to them. At the heart, at the heart of a biblically rooted, spirit-filled life of prayer is first and foremost a belief that God is a good, good father who has our best intentions in mind and he cares for us and he wants to hear our concerns and our worries and hopes and desires and he wants to speak to those things. Paul echoes Peter's sentiment in Philippians 4, I, it's, it's gonna say 4, 8, it's actually 4, 6, and 7. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. How many things am I supposed to be worried about? Zero things, no things. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you've not memorized scripture and I made a practice of that, man, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. You don't need to know the address, but just remember, I mean, God says he's invested in your anxiety. And here's what's crazy. When we're walking through what we're walking through, sickness, when we're not sure about our job, when we're not sure how to handle our family, a heartache, depression, we have a deep desire to share these concerns with God, don't we? We, we reach out toward God in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship. And in fact, here's the crazy thing. Friends that you have that don't even care about God, even reach toward God in the midst of hard times. You'll see your friends post on Facebook, right? They'll say something like, hey, uh, I'm having surgery tomorrow. I'd love to have good vibes sent my way. And then they'll say, if you're into this sort of thing, please pray for me. Every once in a while, something crazy is going to happen where a friend of yours that doesn't care about Jesus is going to reach out and say, hey, would you pray with me about this thing? And I want to talk to you about this. This is important. You need to say, yes, I will pray for you, and then pray with them that moment. The biggest lie Christians tell is when they say, when someone says, will you pray about that? They say yes, and then they don't pray about it. I'm starting to develop this habit where when somebody says, can we pray about this thing? It's kind of like a, well, maybe we should just stop what we're doing and pray now. Um, actually, uh, Harry Britt, not to call him out, used to make a dad joke about praying without ceasing when I was growing up around his kids, where we would be talking about something and he would say, well, let's pray about that. And without like a silent pause, just start praying. So praying without ceasing, haha, <laughs> we didn't cease, right? Anyway, the point is, the point is we need to learn to pray. And here's the deal. One of the most uncomfortable things anybody ever does is pray out loud. But the reality of scripture is that nobody prays in their minds in scripture. That was something that didn't even come to like a notion until after we had the printing press. If you prayed in scripture, you prayed out loud. When you prayed in church, you prayed out loud. If you're uncomfortable about praying out loud, I don't know how else to lovingly say this other than you need to get over it and get over it fast. Because the way that the scripture prays is we pray out loud. And here's the deal. So a person calls you and says, hey, will you pray for me? And you think, Kyle said I got to pray with this person out loud. I don't want to do that. I don't know what I'm going to say. Guys, what better opportunity to practice praying out loud than with a person who doesn't care about Jesus? Because they don't know if it's good or bad. They don't know if it's eloquent or not. You get into a Bible study and, and you all of a sudden, and, and I understand because Kyle likes words, so he tries to find words and be eloquent when he prays. I think the damage that does to our communities is that it makes you feel like unless you use four-syllable words every time you talk about God, 
you're messing it up somehow. When, when Art and I went out to Indiana, I was in this room with a whole bunch of high school students who had just come to know Jesus. And one of them got asked to pray. And she prayed out loud for like the first time in her whole life. But she got to the end of it and didn't know what to say. Now, if you've been in church, what do you learn to say? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, right? Which is almost something you don't even think about, right? Like you just, blah, 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 amen, right? So she didn't know how to end the prayer, so she said out loud, well, I don't have anything else to say, so I think I'm going to hang up now. (laughs) I don't know if that's bad. I don't think there's anything wrong with, I don't know what to do, but guys, start praying out loud, because let me tell you what, when a friend of yours calls and says, hey, would you pray for me? And you say, let's pray right now they're going to feel 80,000 times more awkward than you because they're going to go like, oh, you know? So it doesn't need to be perfect. doesn't need to be good. And what if in that moment they have an encounter with our Father as they hear you talk and maybe fumble and not know what to say as you do that? we got to start learning to pray out loud. And spoiler alert, we're going to have to figure out how to do that because that's what the prayer walk, which it's not going to be a walk. It's going to be in the parking lot. It's going to be five minutes. It's going to happen. So if you're a guest in the house this morning, Uh, If that makes you feel super uncomfortable, you can stay inside, but we're going to be uncomfortable as a community in a little while together. I didn't write any of that down, but that's just something you needed to know. We have this deep desire to share what worries us with God. Not only do we have a deep desire, we have a deep need, and God has met that deep need with a great gift. Paul says, look at at this verse, he says that Paul, God says that, well, yeah, Paul says that God exchanges our anxiety for peace through prayer. God exchanges our anxiety for peace through prayer. When we pray about what hurts us and what stirs us up, God's desire and pleasure is to exchange that anxiety for peace. But look at what Paul says the exchange rate is. Paul knows all, this Paul, Paul Monroe knows all about exchange rates because it's like American dollars versus pound sterling versus the euro. I don't understand. There's math things that happen. But it's not like the, the, the peace that we, the anxiety that we give God does not get returned to us one for one with peace. The exchange rate is one to a million. Because Paul says, God exchanges our anxiety for peace that what? Surpasses understanding. Paul, Paul says that God doesn't give you a few driblets of peace. He gives you peace that surpasses your understanding. And he says that, that peace does something crazy. It guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That word guard is the same word used of a soldier whose patrol would be outside the city. It walks guard duty around your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. God's desire is that he take our anxiety and exchange it for peace. So much so that when you have a friend that looks at you and says, how can you be so okay with this horrible thing going on in your life? You say, I don't really know. All I know is that there's a peace that passes understanding. And some of you that have come to know Jesus over the last few months have just started to say to me, I don't know what's different, I just have more peace. Thinking about it in a different way, and I'm going to steal this from a pastor friend of mine, at the end of the day, worrying and praying are the same activity. Worrying and praying are the same activity. Because you see, in worry, what do I do? I take this thing that I'm worried about, this situation in my life, and I turn it every which way. And I see all of the ways that it could go horribly wrong, how we could end up horribly mangled, uh, either emotionally or physically or both, through the circumstance. And so we turn it over and over again in our minds in the middle of the night and while we're talking with people and we're not present because we can't help but look closely at this thing that worries us. Well, here's what happens. 
we do the same thing in prayer. It's just that we turn this thing over and over and over again in our hands and examine it in the presence of Jesus. That's the difference. We we turn it over and over again and instead of imagining the thousands of ways that it could go wrong, we begin to imagine the thousands of ways that God could intervene in this for his glory. We begin to imagine the many, many ways that even though our anxiety says, here's the 25 things that are gonna go horribly wrong, when we examine these things in the presence of Jesus, we begin to discover the things that could go wonderfully right. See, we have imaginations that are very active for what could go wrong. We have terrible imaginations for what could go, we have great imagination for what could go wrong. We have poor imaginations for what could go well. And that said, it's important to remember that prayer seeks to short circuit our anxiety, but it's possible for our anxiety to short circuit our prayer. We, we, my wife had a friend growing up whose mom prayed all the time, all the time. And so Steph remarked on this to her friend. She said, your mom just prays all of the time. But her friend's remark was, yeah, she prays all the time, but she's really anxious. Because she doesn't pray with confidence, she prays anxious prayers. You see, because she takes this thing to the Lord, and instead of, instead of praying about the ways that God could intervene, she just keeps praying about all the things that could go wrong, and she leaves praying more anxious than when she started. Praying and worrying are the same activity, it's just that we imagine different results. We invite God to bring about different things. A helpful practice might be to make a list, of, a list of all the bad things that could happen because of the things that you're worried about and then burn it and then run it over with your car and then stomp on it a little bit and then burn it again. And then make another list of all of the ways that God in his mercy could make this go right. And the list of what God could do should be a little longer, should be a little bigger than the list that you burned. When Jesus taught us to ask for stuff, he also taught us to keep asking. Sometimes you read Jesus in scripture and you're like, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And that happens to me all the time. We're gonna be preaching through the book of Nehemiah uh, this fall for about six weeks, which I thought was a great idea. And then I started reading the book of Nehemiah and I thought, oh, I have no idea what's happening here. Something has happened really for me preaching wise, which is truth be told, I've been able to kind of rely on everything I've learned in school. I am, that well is now dry. So now, now, now I have to like go and I don't know, study for myself a little harder than I usually would. Here's the thing. He, Jesus sometimes would be real clear. Matthew and Luke especially would help us out. So sometimes Jesus tells a story and, and Luke says, so Jesus told this story to his disciples to teach them that they should pray and not give up. Thank you, that's good. Okay, so this story is about praying and not giving up. Sometimes praying for things are not as simple as asking once and moving on. Sometimes there's things in our life that we have to pray for over and over and over and over again. And that requires tremendous faith. That requires tremendous faith. And when I say faith, I don't mean like the energy or the emotion of your belief. Our faith is not the basis on which God answers prayer. The intensity of my belief is not the basis on which God answers prayer. God never looks at us and said, hey, if you had only believed a little harder, I would have done that thing. Because if he did that, if he waited for us to have faith, God would never do anything. If God waited for us to believe deep enough and hard enough, 
God would never do anything. Jesus tells a story where he says to the disciples, you know, if your faith was the size of a mustard seed, a mustard seed is the smallest seed there is. And Jesus says, our faith doesn't even equal that amount. He says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. But you have little faith. And so the answer is not to stir ourselves up and to prove to God how faithful we are. Instead, it's the object of our faith that we look to while we wrestle with God and persist in prayer. We have to keep coming to God, to come to God about waiting to meet our spouse. We have to come to God about our broken marriage. We have to come to God about waiting for a child. We have to come to God about waiting for healing. And as we do that, as we keep bringing things to God over and over and over again, we suddenly find that prayer and persistent prayer starts to feel a lot like wrestling with God. It starts to feel like an experience a guy named Jacob had in Genesis chapter 32. The text says this, Jacob was all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. And the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Well, what's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Jacob wrestles all night, not with a man, but with God, and he seeks a blessing. He seeks the blessing that his family and his servants won't be wiped out by his brother who's camped out on the other side of the river who he hasn't seen for 30 years and the last time he saw him, he cheated him out of his birthright. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you protect me. And in prayer, in intercessory prayer, we lay hold of God like a snapping turtle. We grab on and we don't let go. There are things in your life that require this kind of prayer. There are things in your life that you can't just bring to God once and move on. There are things with God that you need to contend with God over, that you need to honestly grab God in a headlock and not let go until he gives you what you want. Jesus' parables on teaching and prayer have this theme, perseverance, persistence, faith. Jesus' teaching on prayer and persistence seem to imply that the greater our persistence, the greater the likelihood that God will answer our prayer. The harder we hold on, the greater the chances that God will do something. But this is not true. The longer we persist, the longer we wrestle with God, we are more likely to see an answer to our prayer, but not in the way that we think. You see, God doesn't hear us like in the back of a kid, back of a car, a kid asking over and over again for ice cream and just relent. Although Jesus does use a parable to say that God sometimes does that too. And the other thing is that he doesn't act because he's impressed by the faith that we had to keep holding on and keep holding on. Because again, 
if we were waiting for our faith to impress God, we'd be waiting a long time. No, God meets our needs when we persist in prayer, when we wrestle with him, because in that wrestling, in that persistence, we are so up close and personal with God that we get more of him, and that meets our greatest need. I want, I want to reframe all of our conversation about asking, with God, asking God for stuff around this one idea, that your greatest need is not for God to answer your prayer. Your greatest need is for more of God. Let's sit with that and just kind of tweet it into our brains. Our greatest need is not for God to answer prayer. Our greatest need is for more of God. And ironically, as we wrestle with God, as we are in his face again and again to show up, to move, to do what we need him to do, we have never, ever been closer. Think about wrestling You've got your arms around God. You're trying to contend with him to get what you want. And at the same time that your arms are wrapped around him to control him, you're also embracing him. Which is why it's interesting that the Hebrew word wrestle and embrace are the same word. Sometimes we have to persist. Sometimes we have to wrestle. Sometimes we have to embrace a God who makes us wait because his ways are higher than ours and his timing is not our own. And so then we come to the age-old question of, does prayer change anything? Biblically, the answer is yes. And I'll even go out on a theological limb here, and I'm not just talking he changes you. See, that's what he does in prayer, right? He changes you. He changes your perspective on things. He changes your experience of the circumstance that you were asking God to change. He changes the way the depression feels, the way the divorce feels, the way the sickness feels, the way the, the, way the hurt relationship feels. He changes how you experience that. But I would also firmly believe, and scripture would tell you, that God does change and act on the basis of our prayers, And not in some fake way either. Not in some, well, I knew that I was going to do this all along, but I kind of just had a conversation with you to make you believe that you and I were talking about it, and then I was going to do it. God does not play at relationship with us. God does not, like, condescend and toy with our minds. Either he's in a real relationship with us or he's not, and if he's in a real relationship with us, that means what we pray and what we say do affect the way that God handles circumstances. Two stories. In the book of Genesis, Abraham meets with God and God says that he's going to destroy a certain city. And Abraham says, God, you can't destroy that city. That'll ruin your reputation because what if there are a hundred righteous people in that city? And so God says, okay, I won't destroy the city if there's a hundred righteous people. And then, and then Abraham does this interesting thing. He says, well, what if there are 75? Okay, well, if there's 75. Well, what about 50? Okay, if there's 50. All right, my Lord, if it please you. The Hebrew does this funny thing where it's like you feel Moses, like Abraham like bending over, right? Like if it please you, Lord, what about 30? What about 25? What about 20? What about 10? What about just one righteous person in the city? Would you destroy it if there's one righteous person? And God says, no, I won't destroy it if there's one righteous person. When God enters into relationship with us, he enters into relationship with us. He had a real conversation with Abraham in that moment. Another good story, in the book of Acts, Uh, Peter gets thrown in jail. And so the whole church gathers and says, God, we need you to get Peter out of jail. And they're praying all night, just crying out to the Lord. And something happens where Peter's sitting in his cell and the door just opens. And he just walks out. And he finds the house where they're praying and he knocks on the door and a servant girl named Rhoda opens the door, sees Peter, slams the door shut and runs and tells them, hey, everybody, Peter is outside. 
And they all say, oh, poor Rhoda. She's so stressed out, she probably just saw something, right? She, it's been a long night, she hasn't eaten in a while, sweet Rhoda, it's not there. And she says, no, Peter's outside, so they go and open the door, and Peter's out there. God responds to the way that we pray. And we're all like the church that prays and just assumes that God is going to do whatever he wants to do and are afraid to open the door and see Peter standing there, see the Peter that we've been praying for out there. Of course prayer changes things. If prayer didn't change things, why would we pray? But we don't have this grim, stiff upper lift view to God. Instead, we believe that God hears and knows and listens to us. So two practices of prayer. And given time, we might have to change up the way that I was thinking about doing the one thing today. So bear with me. There are two ways to pray about worry, what worries us. Two kind of different things. And the way that we pray, the way that we do intercessory prayer, the way that we intercede, the way that we pray for things, for ourselves, for others, for our community, our church, our city, our world, sometimes we pray flare prayers. And by flare, I don't mean like the stuff on the guy's necklace at Applebee's. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the pins that they put on? Right? Uh, what I mean is there was a flare gun in the boat we had growing up so that if something ever happened to it, you'd shoot it and everybody would know what, that we were in trouble. A lot of times our, our prayers about stuff are just flare pray, prayers, right? A few years ago, uh, my brother-in-law, Steph's brother and her three nephews were in a near fatal car accident. We didn't know what was going on. All we could do was text some people and say, her brother was in an accident. We don't know what that means. Please pray. We shot a flare up into the sky because we didn't have time to go into a closet and say, God, what are you doing here? We didn't have time to converse, we had to act. If somebody comes to you bleeding from the head, you don't say, just stick a rag on that, I'll be right back and go pray for 10 minutes. You drive them to the ER or they'll be dead. Do you know what I'm saying? But the problem with flare prayers is that's all we pray. God, somebody's hurting, pray about this. We throw these flare prayers up and the problem with only ever praying flare prayers is why do we use flares? We use flares when we're in emergency. And if we stay in emergency mode in prayer all the time, do you know what we, mode we stay in? We stay in anxiety the whole time. And so we never really engage with God about these things that are happening in our lives. Listen, flare prayers, the 911 prayer is great. Sometimes I'll get a text from my parents that'll say, Nine, pray for like 911 dash, something to pray for. But this can't be the meat and potatoes. These flare prayers can't be it because pretty soon all we're doing is throwing stuff up to God to seeing what sticks instead of talking with him about the things that concern us. So pray flare prayers, but also I want to teach you a different practice for intercessory prayer. First of all, using a very secret, very ancient prayer practice using index cards. All right? Very secret. Jesus, Jesus brought these with him. You take an index card and you make a topic on the top of it. And so you put a couple of bullet points that say, for my family, I'm praying that my kids would know Jesus personally and in a way that transforms them every day. I'm gonna pray that my nieces and nephews would be protected from bullying this year at school. And I'm gonna pray that my teenage granddaughter's boyfriend would take a hike and she'd find a guy who loves Jesus. <laughs> so that's your, that's your family card. Then you have a friend's card. Uh, and you have, a, you have a card for our city, right? And so there's some bullet points on there that say like that God would give our leaders wisdom and integrity to handle decisions they face, that Jesus would use the heroin epidemic as a chance to display his glory 
and his power over brokenness. Maybe you have a church card. And if you do, can I ask you to do me a favor that the first bullet point on there to be to pray for me. I know that I come across as encouraged and happy and upbeat all the time, but that's because I was raised by a mom who taught me to fake it till I make it. And no pastor ever quit ministry because they were too encouraged. So if you would pray that I would be protected from sin and, and encouraged in, work, in my work this week, if you would pray that what we do as a church would help more and more people who don't know Jesus know him, that you would pray for all of us to be aware of those people that God's putting in our path to share the gospel with. Maybe you, you should have a card for all of your friends that don't know Jesus and all of your family members that don't know Jesus. And so every day you take your prayer cards out and you just grab two or three. Do not have 50 prayer cards. Do not overachieve in this area. Do not have a prayer card with 77 bullet points written in tiny little lettering, right? Pick the big rocks and pray about them. Here's the other problem with flare prayers. We're so distracted by the urgent, we never pray for what's important. Because I'll tell you what, the person with a bleeding head wound, like, it's kind of, this is terrible, it's kind of done as to whether or not the doctor's gonna be able to do their things or not. Even though we said out loud, God, we need you to save our nephew's life and my brother-in-law's life, it was kind of done even before we could pray it. And so the urgent things come and go, but we never end up praying for the important things like our kids and our friends and our family and our church and our community and our city. So we take these cards, but then here's the next level of this. Here's the twist. You take this card out, you take it before the Lord, and you ask God how he wants you to pray for these things. Ah, because I'm so sure that I know what to pray for about these things. But what if God has something else in mind? What if, what if as I'm praying for my brother uh, to know Jesus more, he reminds me about his work situation being frustrating, and so I begin to pray for him that day. God, I pray that you would use your work his work situation to change the way that he sees you. We need to ask God how he wants people prayed for, because he is smarter than me. He is smarter than you. And though you might have a plan A for however situation you're praying for, that might be God's plan D. And God's plan A might be something totally different. And so we ask God what to pray for. Intercessory prayer has to be about listening to God. It can't just be about sharing this list and moving on. It has to be about listening to God about these things. Had a professor in school, because this is the thing, what happens when we listen is we begin to hold the things that concern us in an open palm. And instead of demanding that they be handled in one way with our closed fist held up to God, we open it up and let God do what he's gonna do. I had a professor in school, Dr. Ronald Sauer. He was from Mississippi, and though he was like almost 80, he still had this thick accent. Class! Mm -mm. He called me Kay Hamilton, because it was first initial, middle name, right? Uh, so my friend trapped, T. Williams, would you parse this verb? Because it was Greek. Took five semesters of Greek. Don't really remember much. <clears throat> but that's another topic. So he would tell all these stories. There'd be a spiritual vitamin every day from a Bible verse that he translated himself. And uh, I am not exaggerating. Like this was, this is it. And uh, Steph was there, she knows. And so he would tell this story about what, their first or second child after his wife, who he called Sweet Sue. Sweet Sue, delivered. Uh, she looked at him and said, Ron, I feel my life leaving me. And so they kick him out of the surgery and, uh, and he said, I go into a bathroom and I knelt on the floor and I said, to, I said to the Lord, I said, Father, I hold Sweet Sue out to you in an open palm. 
so that you would do whatever you would do. And I think the, I think the other part of the story is that God then brought a Bible verse to mind, which was probably the subject of the spiritual vitamin. And she did live. But that's what intercessory prayer is about. It's about trusting our Father enough that we can open our hand and lay out to him what we need. And listening to receive what he might have us pray about that person. Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask it. And so before you even walk in the room, this is also what happens when we spend all of the meat of our prayer life in asking God for stuff. We're telling him things he already knew and forfeiting a chance for him to tell us something we don't know. Let's pray. We're going to take communion together. Father, we offer you this morning what we need, our desires and our hopes and our worries, and ask that you would exchange them for less anxiety. God, teach us this morning. Teach us this morning a new way of being, being in relationship with you, of trusting you, even in the midst of our hard things. Help us to have ears that hear you lead us when we're in those things. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.